Welcome to episode 173 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Wednesday, 22nd of November, 2017. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. And now for a limited time, new customers to Jensen USA who are referred by the spokesman get 10% off one item. Simply enter the spokesman, no spaces, at checkout. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed of BikeBiz.com and this is another one of those spokesman specials. We just haven't been able to get the usual suspects together all in one place at the same time. So, today's show consists of some grabbed audio from a conference in London I helped chair yesterday. The Innovations and Walking and Cycling Conference was organised by Landor Lynx on behalf of Britain's Department of Transport. The Roads Minister gave a keynote in the morning and some famous Olympian gave the keynote in the afternoon. I've largely kept the audio unedited from both of those speakers. First up is Jesse Norman, who's the Minister for Roads and Local Transport. Bravely, he mentioned Monty Python's Ministry of Silly Walks and then defended his decision to call a cycle safety review, which will be looking at creating a new offence of death by dangerous cycling. This is in response to the Briggs campaign, and you may remember that episode 170 of the Spokesman podcast had a long and moving interview with Matt Briggs, who lost his wife Kim in 2016 after she was struck by a cyclist. The minister had some strong words to say to those cycle advocates who attacked the launch of the Cycle Safety Review, but he also threw them some red meat by saying that the review would be, and I quote, evidence-based. If that's truly the case, then cycling has nothing to worry about because the evidence, as we all know, is strong and copious. After David's ad break, we then go into the conference speech from gold medalist Chris Boardman. His name badge at the event said he was Greater Manchester's cycling commissioner. But as I pointed out in my introduction of Chris at the conference, not that much was needed, of course, he's also the Conurbation's walking commissioner. So, first up, here's Jesse Norman, the Parliamentary Undersecretary of State for Roads, Local Transport and Devolution. I'm delighted to be able to speak here uh, today. It is a particular delight to get out of the uh, Westminster bunker, um, even if only to go a short distance, um, and to be in the John Major's John Major Room. I mean, fantastic. What could be better for a Conservative Minister than she's been in the John Major Room? Although only, it's only the DFT could arrange to have a summit in probably the, one of the flattest parts of the UK. <laughs> Feet away from the immortal square at the Kennington Oval. Um, so thank you very much indeed. Um, I've got some, I should start with some bad news, which is I'm not going to be talking about the cycle safety review until much later on in my speech. So if you were hoping for early fireworks, I'm afraid um, they won't be coming. Um, my job, however, is to discuss an issue that's of enormous importance to all of us, ladies and gentlemen, and that, of course, uh, is um, uh, the question of how we can use innovation to boost cycling and walking uh, across this country and in our society. Now, as you all know, 
Um, and as many people outside this room are discovering, there is a special link between cycling, walking, and innovation. Before I became an MP, miraculously, I, unlike many, actually had, a, I had jobs, I had a career, and I had several careers before I arrived in Parliament, uh, and one of them uh, uh, is, was, bizarrely, as an academic philosopher. It's not something I talk about much uh, in, um, uh, in polite company, certainly not in, in politics. Uh, and um, one of the things that I uh, was going to be invited to do by my um, team here was now to read out a series of quotes from famous philosophers, including Nietzsche, Kierkegaard, and Rousseau, about the joys of walking and cycling. I'm not going to do that. Okay? <laughs> we can't compete with Vladimir Putin um, uh, at this end of the room. And so what I am going to do is just um, make the point that there has always been a link in people's minds between um, cycling, walking, and innovation. And um, there's something about walking and there's something about cycling that stimulates little gray cells and gets people actually uh, thinking. The one, the quote I will use, which I really like, is the discovery, uh, innovation, uh, is seeing what everyone else sees, but thinking about it in an entirely new way. And as I've walked around earlier on the exhibition before I came up, I could see people seeing what everyone else saw and thinking about it in a new way. And that's very exciting for me, very exciting indeed, and I congratulate you. So I'm not going to mention Nietzsche when he said, all truly great thoughts are conceived by walking, and I'm not going to mention Rousseau, um, uh, or indeed Kierkegaard. Uh, let me just say one thing by way of kickoff, though, uh, which is that, uh, of course, the joys of uh, cycling and walking are not merely that they stimulate innovation and discovery and thought and reflection, all those good things. They also have more tangible benefits. They support uh, air quality. Uh, this is a virtually zero, I think absolutely zero emission activity. They help us to create vibrant, attractive places in society where we can live and work. They reduce congestion on our roads. Let me say that again. They reduce congestions on our roads. Uh, and that's why uh, uh, supporting cycling and walking has become a big priority for this government. Uh, when I biked in today, uh, this morning, I had the joy of uh, leaping onto my bicycle. Um, it was an incredible fun run in. It was quick. I knew to the more or less the minute when I was going to arrive. Uh, it was fantastic exercise. I got here on an endorphin high. I felt like I was one with nature, and I went my own way. And those are the reasons why people love cycling, and those are the reasons why they love walking. And I think that's very stimulative of good thinking and uh, happy lives. Now, as you know, ladies and gentlemen, earlier this year, we, we published this country's first ever cycling and walking uh, strategy, investment strategy. And that is because we want to make the shift to a genuinely fully multimodal approach to transport. That is one in which cycling and walking becomes an everyday activity. As I've said, and I've said in The Guardian and other places, adopting Chris Boardman's great line, which I think he himself stole from someone else, we need to make cycling so easy that even a 12-year-old can do it um, without having to think too, too hard at all. Uh, and so our goal is, by the time we get to 2022, have significantly boosted the number of trips that people take by foot and by bike. And it's very noticeable how much cycling and walking have taken off in, in the city uh, of London. And we'd, like to, uh, and we'd like to do that across the country as a whole. By 2025, our aim is to have doubled the number of trips made by bike from 800,000 in 2013 to 1.6 uh, billion. By 2040, I mean, you can predict the future, <coughs> ladies and gentlemen, but we can at least, we can dream. Um, 
uh, uh, we want cycling and walking to be the default mode of travel uh, for a whole trip or as part of a longer trip involving other forms of transport. So whatever your journey, it always involves a good amount of walking and or cycling. So that's the goal. And if we're going to achieve that goal, we need to work collaboratively, we need to meet, we need to go to the task with all the resources that are at our disposal. And of course we've started that with the investment strategy and that brings together £1.2 billion worth of investment to support <coughs> cycling and walking, including £50 million for uh, bikeability training, £200 million to turn eight cities into cycling ambition cities, uh, £17 million to support cycling in national parks, um, and a raft of other investments, cycle facilities at railway stations, um, support through Highways England, and many other places as well. So that's the scale of the ambition, but we're also very keen specifically to support innovation, as you might imagine. And as you will know, we've recently funded two competitions, the Innovation Challenge Fund and the Small Business Research Initiative, both designed to address our objectives to increase cycling and walking, but also designed to catch the imagination of inventors and innovators, people who see what everyone else sees, but think in a completely new way, and to try to tap that uh, genius and innovation and channel it into our public lives. And we're now providing something like £900,000 uh, to 13 uh, fascinating new innovations, helping those startups to get their products to market. And that includes new navigational device, a new planning tool, a new program to encourage university students to cycle for the rest of their lives, having caught them young. So those are the kinds of things we're doing. Um, but they also underline a kind of wider point, which is that government money can take you so far, but actually we need something rather more valuable than just money alone. We need thinking. We need your brains. We need the brains of everyone who cares about cycling and walking to be devoted and thinking about that. Now, you might say, well, hold on a second, cycling, and how much has the bicycle changed um, in the 200 years? Next year will be the 200th anniversary since Dennis Johnson patented his velocipede uh, and started launching it on the streets of Regency London. So how much has it really changed since then? Is there that much scope, you might ask, for innovation, uh, uh, let alone in walking, right? People have been walking ever since our ancestors first emerged from the primordial soup. So is there much scope for change or for positive change? Well, the answer to that is, of course, unless you're Monty Python uh, and, as you were, um, are going to study through the Ministry of Silly Walks, New Ways of Walking. Walking, I think, is a fairly, you know, we, we understand how to walk. Cycling, on the other hand, is a very innovative and interesting uh, area for new development. And, of course, walking, too, in all the apps and all the other ways we can think about uh, leveraging it and extending it and, and employing it and improving it um, is a fertile source for future innovation. So, if we look around the exhibition, what do we see so far? Well, you see e-bikes. Um, and around the country, you see e-bikes helping cyclists and older cyclists and people who are a little, perhaps a little nervous about uh, whether they're going to get the journey, you know, get them on a bicycle. That's a fantastic innovation. Um, and in due course, as I've said in the past, I think we're going to see e-bikes extending to start to deliver many more of those journeys inside cities that are presently being run by um, light vans um, for emissions reasons, because they're so much um, lower in their emissions. That's one thing. Um, we're seeing a lot of doctors cycle hire. Downstairs, three or four different schemes out there competing for doctors cycle hire. Now, those people are going to be um, needing large amounts of customers across the London and across other cities in the UK 
if that doctor's cycle hire dream is to become a reality. And that's something that will make an enormous difference to urban cycling. Uh, we're seeing journey planning tools, we're seeing tracking devices ever more tailored to the needs of pedestrians and cyclists. And I'd be to say local authorities are starting to think really creatively about how they can use technology to make cycling safe and safer, such as, I mean, Central Bedfordshire is an example of that. They're using sensors to try to keep drivers informed as to cyclists being on the road ahead. And I know later on today you'll be discussing augmented reality journey planning, crowdsourced data, and even smart cycle locks. All of that testament to the kind of innovation and energy that we're seeing in this sector. These are exciting times, and we want to support innovation wherever we can find it. Now, I said earlier on, I was going to talk about the Cycle Safety Review, and I'm happy to touch on that uh, if it's of interest, and obviously I'll be taking your questions afterwards. Um, of course, we very much believe that if you want people to get on bicycles, they have to feel uh, safe. And if you want people to walk our streets safely, they have to feel safe too. So there has to be a harmonious interaction between all road users if we're going to make that transition. And we have to get over the perception in particular that cycling is somehow uh, walking is somehow unsafe around busy roads, when the reality is that we have some of the very safest roads in the world, as you will know. So we're trying to think about that constructively, how we can how we can make a difference to that. And when I announced that we were having a cycle safety review, as you will know, the heavens opened. Um, uh, I was dumped on from a great height by enormous numbers of people uh, with uh, uh, very distinct views of the matter who hadn't actually read the release that we put out. Um, and there was a, a feeling of I think um, utter hypocrisy would be a light description for the um, view that was taken of government. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, as someone who's been bicycling since age seven or eight and had his first job at the age of ten cycling, um, I can tell you, or one, one of my first jobs, I can tell you that uh, nothing could be further from the truth. This cycle safety review has got two parts. The first is to address uh, a potential gap in the law, which is to protect uh, pedestrians and other road users against the possibility of uh, bodily harm or death being inflicted uh, on a bicycle or from or while bicycling. Uh, but the second is, and which we're launching through a consultation in the new year, a much wider and more embracing look at how it, safety can be improved for cyclists and for other road users in relation to cyclists um, across um, all of the different elements that make up uh, components to safety. That can be infrastructure, education, signage, all the other things that we think will contribute to a successful uh, and um, uh, effective transition to a world in which cycling and walking are norms. So that's what the cycle review is about and we'll be announcing further details of it uh, shortly. Whatever we're going to decide it is not going to be based on any kind of knee-jerk reaction, it's based on solid evidence. And if you haven't lined yourself up to make a contribution to that consultation when it takes place, I very much hope you will, and encourage all your mates to do that as well, because we're trying to use that spirit of innovation and energy uh, in that review as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed. It's a, it's a pleasure for me to be here. These are very exciting times for anyone who cares about cycling. Um, the fascinating thing is how even the oldest forms of transportation are changing at an astonishing uh, pace. And... As a conservative, I can tell you I like that. But I think uh, that's exactly what we should be doing. We should be reflecting on our past, and we should be improving it and making it fit for the future. Change is not always easy. We know that. But we also know that we cannot stay still, and that some change is required for the preservation of our way of life and our society and the greater happiness of us all. 
Thank you very much indeed, ladies and gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. I'm happy to take your questions. Thank you very much indeed, Jesse. So if we can open the floor for questions, either on what the great philosophers have to say about cycling or about the government's policies on the matter. So I can see a few hands already going up. Forrest. <laughs> and you've already got a microphone there, sir. Yeah. Okay, yes, sir. Roger. Okay, thank you. Uh, Roger Geffen, Cycling UK's micro microphone uh, arrived first. Um, yes, I, and uh, we, we could also have included scientists as well as philosophers in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the Einstein quote, I thought of relativity on the um, I will uh, come to the cycle safety review. Um, we, uh, we what, in your, in your single question? We are very keen to uh, uh, support you in everything you're saying there about achieving positive uh, benefits, and we agree entirely with Living Streets that this should be a review that looks for the benefits, the co-benefits for walking as well as for cycling, seeing them as synergistic. Yep. Um, more on safer, uh, which really keep, we're really keen that this should also support the ambitions in the cycling walking investment strategy to increase walking as well as cycling. Uh, more and safer cycling can and should go hand in hand. There's very good evidence that cyclists and pedestrians get safety in numbers benefits. Um, that really might we, might we migrate to a question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that really focuses on. Um, uh, can I urge that um, the firstly the, we we explicitly go for a, a, a review that looks for walking and cycling benefits. The priority is the measures that. Um, most in danger, pedestrians as well as cyclists, so safer junctions, safer vehicles, traffic law and enforcement, and picking up the point about traffic law and enforcement, uh, just to link this to phase one, can we make sure that, that this links back to the, the, the uh, offences and penalties review that the Ministry of Justice has been uh, promising for a long time, which has made very little progress on, we'd be very keen to see that, as you said, that this provides benefits for cycling safety, and that really needs to tackle the motor offences as well as driver behaviour and uh, education as well as enforcement. Okay, so you've, there's a raft of points there. Let me very quickly address them while people get the next question lined up. Um, so, so the review is a cycle safety review. It's going to be about safety, safety in relation to cycling. Well, I'm not crowding the microphone. Um, and, and that, of course, will include pedestrians in relation to cycling, but it's not going to be the all-embracing kind of review of all road users. And there's a reason for that, which is that um, I don't think that would be tractable. I think we need to begin somewhere uh, and progress from there. Now, um, I don't know if you saw it, but actually the Ministry of Justice has published um, the results of its review of offences, and I think they've been very widely welcomed. And I would like to think that one of the reasons um, why that uh, uh, did come out as quickly and promptly as it did was in reaction to the lead we had given by putting some, some heat and energy underneath this question of um, the law in relation to potential offences on a bicycle. So I think that actually was a good example of government joining itself up uh, to get the right outcome, and I think we'll be able to do more as we go forward. Thanks. I'm Mark Strong from Transport Initiative. I sit on the Brighton Transport Partnership, and last week there was a question saying, we're trying to design cycle routes. Can we use the London Cycle Design Standards? No, because we're not in London. Local authorities are really bemused about what they can use. Great to hear you welcoming change. Government's advice on designing for cycling local transport note 208 is from 2008. So isn't it time that that was changed? Well, uh, thank you for that. Um, can we have a question from someone who's not male? 
Um, possibly. Um, um, great that I'm enjoying. I just look at the forest of hands. I just want a, I want a diversity of voices. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, the answer to that question is, um, of course, the question whether there should be a national standard for cycling is something that could be addressed in the review if a strong um, uh, response was put in when the review goes out uh, for public discussion. Um, and I invite you and other local authorities that may be feeling the need, I don't mean that you are a local authority, but in relation to other local authorities that may be um, seeking some guidance or even conceivably hiding behind um, um, the inability to implement the London uh, rules, um, or the London cycle design, that maybe they can benefit from that and put in their own materials. Yes? Uh, just for you, uh, transport engineer. Um, so I think walking is something we take for granted, and uh, uh, you mentioned safety, but actually if we look at the statistics per mile walked or cycled, the UK performs very poorly compared to our counterparts in Denmark and the Netherlands. Um, so I wanted to ask, can we consider some simple things about walking, not take it for granted? Could we allocate 20% of transport funding to walking? Uh, uh, measure it with its modal share? Um, and can we be more specific in breaking down the safety around walking and cycling? More, more specific about breaking down the... Actually, be more transparent about uh, the safety for walking and cycling. So, for example, when you report it per mile walked or cycled, uh, children, boys in the Netherlands and Denmark are 90 times safer per mile cycled. And uh, if you ask a child in the UK, are you safer walking uh, to your local shop or school than being driven? Actually, a child is 40 times safer in the car than outside of the car. So I'm asking, can we, can we give walking some identical treatments, for example, through a 20% budget share, commensurate with its mental share? Okay, okay, you're an answer. Um, um, I just hadn't missed the last point you were saying. Thank you. Um, so, so, so the answer to that is um, uh, you raise a whole series of points, and nothing I've said for a second, um, uh, uh, as it were, does not recognize the importance of walking. And, uh, you know, I have a very productive and loving relationship with the Ramblers in Herefordshire, and, um, you know, I've uh, taken them, or occasionally they've taken me, on um, very many walks to raise money for charity up and down the gorgeous hills and dales of my county. So, um, and that's to say nothing of the Black Mountains or the Brecon Beacons. So I spend a lot of time walking, uh, and I do in cities as well. Um, I think you're right about that. Now, I don't want to get fixated on budget share. Um, the, the, the key thing from our point of view is to make sure that there is a coherent strategy which includes, as we move towards a more genuinely multimodal strategy, um, overall approach, um, you know, proper funding. And that funding tends to get allocated through local government and through um, organizations with specific expertise and infrastructural responsibilities. And I'm not sure that's wrong. I think in many ways you want uh, uh, the most local um, agencies to be implementing um, the spend where it can be most locally used, provided it's spent on walking and cycling as part of a wider commitment uh, across the country. So I don't think we can make, uh, I think it's hard to make budget payments, let alone at the scale that you're talking about, 20% of our transport budget would be an enormous amount of money. Um, and it's not clear that we could even profitably use that or invest it, but um, uh, we are spending more than any previous government has ever spent in this area by a factor of three, and that's something I think we can be very proud of. Mark Hooken from the um, Sunday Times. Hello. Um, hello, hi. Um, just a very quick one. Um, do you wear a bicycle helmet and high vision when you go cycling, and do you think both should be compulsory? 
Okay, so so uh, I have um, made perfectly clear in previous conversations that I don't take a position on high vis or helmets. That is something in relation to the cycle review where we will see what the submissions and the evidence are. Um, if you want to have a uh, uh, a society in which a 12-year-old can get on a bicycle, um, then it's a serious issue as to whether or not you're going to mandate um, high-vis or helmets. And, you know, there would be many arguments about whether the safety benefits of that more uh, outweigh or do not outweigh the deterrent effect that that might have on people cycling. So we're going to leave that to the review. Um, but thank you for the question. I've got an innovation which saved many lives, improved the rule of law. I can't even see where you are, so you can have this innovation but you're blind. Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello, sorry. An innovation which is technically possible now, technology could save thousands of lives and improve the rule of law, which you've just spoken about, which is putting variable speed limiters into cars. So we could start doing it right now, and it saves thousands of lives. How about? Um, uh, well, that's a very interesting. I look forward to seeing the proposal um, uh, in more detail. I, I, I think, um, of course, I can't actually see because I have to the hand away. Um, of course, the, 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 one of the complexities of government is that you have many different values that you're trying to acknowledge and respect. And one of those values, uh, one that I don't need to tell you in this country, has been um, absolutely central to our well being for um, hundreds, if not thousands, of years, is a respect for human freedom, and whether that would be uh, adequately respected by putting um, variable speed limiters in people's cars is, uh, if I've understood the proposal properly, is a question that could be properly explored. It's a way of making cars self-enforcing speed limiters. Um, I, 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 I haven't done... Rather than debate the, the proposal in detail now, why not write to me and I will look at it? But um, as I've understood it, it runs up against that problem. Should we take one more question back? Because I'm conscious we are, we've overrun our allotted time. So, sure. Thank you. Hello, Hello Jesse. Um, my name's Robin Lovelace from the University of Leeds. Also, um, originally from Hereford. So yeah, that's must a be a relation of David Lovelace. Yeah, that's You look like him. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and finally, having this chance to ask a question, because uh, I did drop you an email about it, but um, it was actually about the data an evidence-based side of things. So as someone who works with government data every day, um, trying to build evidence-based policy, um, I was really encouraged to hear you mention that aspect of it. We've got more data on the benefits of walking and cycling than we've ever had before. Um, and we've also got more evidence about how to increase it from the digital revolution. But one issue um, where government maybe could do more is that citizens don't feel empowered to say um, there's a problem in my street. So people know when there's an issue, but at the moment there's no forum that's government supported that allows you to say there's a pothole here, there's um, a problem with the cycle infrastructure over there. So what can government do to unleash the public's desire to have a good um, transport system and use their knowledge of local road networks to build the cycling and walking revolution that we all want. Well, thank you very much indeed um, for the question. Uh, I, I think, of course, there are a number of different forums that government does support, does like to do that. I mean, 
you know, uh, local government is one of them. Um, and, um, and, you know, the first thing that one should do if one has any problem like this is, you know, pick up the phone and call a councillor. Um, because they are the people responsible for local roads. But of course, and, and of course we have other things that are starting to emerge, like apps which will redirect traffic based on roadworks and things like that, and therefore, and which you can register for ways and things like that where you can put in um, problems there, and those will undoubtedly develop. Uh, from a government standpoint, we are actually investing quite a lot of time and energy in thinking about a new platform to manage street works, precisely in order to allow contractors more visibility about what's in the road and what they're going to put in and how they relate to each other in a way that hopefully clears away that infuriating phenomenon you see whereby the road is constantly being dug up by the water or by the gas or whatever it might be from one another. And I think that itself will make a serious difference. As for wider, I think I do think there's a I think the scope, I'm not sure it's government scope, but I, I, I get nervous about government building apps that aren't, uh, government making information available, fantastic, government getting into the app building business feels a bit crazy to me, but I don't think there's any doubt that there's potential for some very interesting software in that area indeed. Thank you very much indeed. Well, and thank you very much indeed, Jesse, and can I invite you all to thank then Jesse and indeed our panellists from the earlier session, and I suggest we break now for coffee. Thank you very much. And with that, the minister was whisked off, as ministers usually are after their keynotes. However, not before I grabbed him and got a photograph of him uh, outside at the Oval, which uh, you can see on the story on this, in fact, topic on bikebiz.com. Uh, now, we break for a bit of advertising from David. Hey, Carlton, thanks so much. And it's it's always my pleasure to talk about our advertiser. This is a longtime loyal advertiser. We're glad to have them back again, of course, in 2017. You all know who I'm talking about. It's Jensen USA at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. I've been telling you for years now, years, that Jensen is the place where you can get a great selection of every kind of product that you need for your cycling lifestyle at amazing prices and what really sets them apart because of course there's lots of online retailers out there but what really sets them apart is their unbelievable support when you call and you've got a question about something you'll end up talking to one of their gear advisors and these are cyclists i've been there i've seen it these folks you know, this is something we'll talk about in today's show but these are folks who who ride their bikes to and from work these are folks who ride at lunch who go out on group rides after work because they just enjoy cycling so much. Uh, and, and so you know that when you call, you'll be talking to somebody who has knowledge of the products that you're calling about. Now, talking about great deals, it is time for Jensen USA's annual bike sale, their 2017 annual bike sale. If, if you're looking for a new bike, whether it's a mountain bike, a road bike, a gravel bike, a fat bike, what are you looking for? Because now it's spring and the sun is shining and the birds are chirping and it's time to get back out on your bike. Check out Jensen USA's annual bike sale and you will not be disappointed. They always have great deals on complete bikes. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I'm looking at their website. A 2016 Orbea Occam TRM30, normally $3,999, now just $2,699. What are you waiting for? It's a great bike from a great brand at a great price. Go ahead and check them out. 
Jensen USA, they are the place where you will find everything you need for your cycling lifestyle. It's jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. We thank them so much for their support, and we thank you for supporting Jensen USA. All right, Carlton, let's get back to the show. Thanks, David. And now here's Sir Chris Boardman. Not an eye to the public realm yet? Well, he should be. Preaching to the converted, I very much so in this room, um, is because that's the reason that I took that street, that junction is the reason that I took the job of walking and cycling commissioner uh, for Greater Manchester. Because I sat at that junction uh, two years ago, I think it was, uh, with Robert Goodwill, uh, the transport um, minister, and we sat in a bicycle traffic jam. Um, and he said, actually, it's quite embarrassing. And he said, yeah, imagine if all these people were in cars. And then we went to go straight ahead, and I could see the car that was on his left-hand side, and I knew what was going to happen, and he waited for the car to go when it went green, and the car waited for him to go. And it was so alien. Um, and to put somebody in that position, you, there's no amount of papers in the world that can give them that experience. Uh, and it was amazing. And pretty much nothing happened after that. <laughs> he was a, he, he was, he's not dead. He's a very nice man. Uh, he, he knew what needed to be done. He wanted to do it. He wasn't enabled to do it. And that, for me, was the moment when you thought, the route that we're trying to go is either so slow, so incrementally slow, that it's not going to happen in my lifetime, or we need to find a different way. Um, just to touch on that, actually, that's 591 miles from where we are right now. 41% of all commutes to work and school are by bike. I think it's just over 50% of school journeys are, are by bike. Unbelievable. And the result, as you might imagine, imagine three times less pollution uh, than we have in our capital. Obesity levels, uh, half. And happiness levels, I think, is something I'm really interested in. And I'll touch on that in a minute. Happiness levels. Uh, that country is consistently, the last time I looked, I think they're still number one, but they're consistently are. We're 23rd, by the way. Uh, and the way they travel is often cited. So how is it so hard? It's 591 miles away. How is it so hard for that example to make it across the channel? Well, when I got a phone call from Andy Burnham, asking me if I'd take on a job, um, I, I, I put him off and I phoned up uh, Andrew Gilligan, actually. He would obviously work with uh, various things in uh, in London. I said, Andrew, what 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 should I be asking for? And he said, Well, ask him the tough questions. Went back, and without hesitation, he went, Yep, 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 absolutely. Got a report to you, Andy. You've got to say, take this. Yep, absolutely. And I thought, Shit, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to do it now. Um, and I was happily retired, uh, semi-retired, and really good at it. And so, <laughs> 150 days of, of extra work. But how exciting is that to have somebody in a position where they can genuinely affect a, a big chunk of the country who really wants to make a difference. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And the first few weeks has been real small um, commando unit. We've got Jenny and Martin in the room, uh, Chris Paul, who's uh, in Manchester. We just went around and we talked to everybody. And we found some stuff that was both head-slappingly simple and I think obvious to people, but we'd sort of forgotten about it. And perhaps a little twist that couldn't make all of the difference. You will, anybody who's heard me speak, uh, heard me talk in this, after this fashion before, we don't make logical decisions. We don't. 
and we ignore that and we've got mountains of evidence and there's so many people in this room who know all of the evidence and that evidence is critical but it's not why we make decisions we, we do the easiest thing for us right now even if we know it's to our own detriment and if we want to get people to out of the car and to change we have to it has to be easy really easy and when i say easy i mean really easy 90 centimeters people still cutting the corner that is how we think and how we make our decisions and so we went out and uh I started to look at what that would be and we, we sat down with our colleagues at uh, Transport for Greater Manchester and we had a brainstorming session and said, right, if we want to change, what are the absolute must-do things? Not we could do, but the must-do or we will not get meaningful change. And the conversation was slightly different because they'd all been hamstrung for years of how much money have we got, what can we do, can we get that through politically? And it was a different conversation. I'm in this beautiful position that I don't need the job. And so I can ask questions that other people may be uncomfortable and maybe I won't keep my job very long, I don't know. But I can ask the questions and push the case forward that needs to be, which is how do we make this the, the easiest thing that we could possibly do. And another thing that was just mentioned in the press last week, one of the things that we found is we make bike lanes for cyclists. They're not for cyclists, they're for people in cars. We've made a choice, we will use infrastructure if it's good, but we are countrywide still less than 2%. They're the people that have to change behaviour if we want to get to, to make a meaningful change in this country. I drove to my office, uh, in my company's office in Birmingham yesterday, or on the outskirts in Redditch, and I looked at the train journeys, because I don't like driving, because it looks like that, it's horrible. And I looked at it, and I, I had to get to Spittle Station by me, then get to, which is five miles away, and there's no decent bike track. You have to get a busy piece of road, it's horrible. So I have to drive there. Then I've got to get to Liverpool. Then I've got to get from Liverpool to Birmingham New Street. Then I've got to get out to Redditch. Then I've got a five mile journey to get across to the office. And it's going to take four hours, or I can get in the car. And even with crappy traffic, it's going to take two and a half hours. So I'm going to do the easiest thing for me, like everybody else, and I've got in the car. I don't feel good about it, but I'm normal. Well, I like to think I'm normal, and that was just too big a difference. There's people in this room who live the dream and genuinely do it, and I admire them and applaud them for it, but they are the 2%. Um, and so we have to build infrastructure that is appealing, that is pleasant, but that is easy, and lastly, safe. And all those things are usually wrapped up together, it's one and the same, but we will only do it if it's easy. We may as well just give the money to the NHS if we're going to do anything else. And it's uncomfortable, but I think that, that's, that's the yardstick. And the one that I've been used, I've, um, I've used over the last few weeks is uh, a 12-year-old. It's got to be used, and I, I nicked it from some friends. Um, it's got to be usable by a competent 12-year-old. Uh, I've never met a competent 12-year-old, but a competent 12-year-old. Because that person represents pensioner, it represents somebody who hasn't ridden a bike since the school, somebody taking the kids to school. If it isn't joined up all of the way, you can make some beautiful stuff, then have a horrible junction, then some more beautiful stuff, none of it will get used if it's not joined up. So that uh, is what I want to get as our yardstick, usable by a competent 12-year-old. It's very scary when you start to look at what that means for your streetscape, but that's what it has to be. 
Um, right now, I think it's worth pointing out that, that the easiest route replies to all of us. Right now, it's, it's us, the, the, the public servants, that are doing the easiest thing. We don't want to upset the stuff, we don't want people screaming at us, and so we have built, not so much now, but we've built stuff like that. That sign is still there, um, just a few miles from my house, that we're all circling a trail. Uh, and then it goes down a back entry, and then they didn't want to remove barriers because a couple of residents complained. The majority said nothing, but that doesn't count for anything, uh, and so you've got to get off your bike, which is just ludicrous. So it's us, we need to hold ourselves accountable to taking the easiest decision. Um, Manchester Oxford Road, I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with it, uh, and it is constantly rolled out as the flagship, and reasonably so in Manchester, the Oxford, Wilmsley Road corridor, seven kilometres, uh, and I'm sick of talking about it. I'm sick of talking about it because it's one little stretch of road. But that little stretch of road has just had its millionth journey. And it's getting up to 5,000 people a day, in some cases 200% increase in cycling since that went in. And if we just look at what that's actually achieved, if all those people were uh, in the car at the same time, so just to give you a visualisation, 2,800 kilometre tailback. That's the kind of impact on traffic on journeys in cars. 620,000 car journeys, give or take. And there's, there's that about 1.6 tonnes of, of, of NOx, 873 tonnes a year of CO2. But what I particularly like is the calorific spectrum. Uh, that's the equivalent in calorie terms of 1,000 uh, sorry, 1,920,000 of uh, digestive biscuits. <laughs> um, and those of you who work in old money and prefer the savoury scale, that's just over three quarters of a million uh, bags of crisps. I'm not sure what flavour, I would have to ask uh, the panel at the back, but I believe it's, uh, it was salt and vinegar. Clearly, the snack food industry could be severely threatened if we get an upturn uh, in cycling. But that was incredible to see just what seven kilometres has done. And that's what I'm interested in, to create examples in areas. And we're so parochial, I've been talking about this this morning, we're so parochial about our examples. London, ah, oh, that's London. Oxford, that's Oxford. Cambridge, okay, yeah, that's Cambridge, totally different. You've got to make it in somebody's, in somebody's own environment where they can relate to it and get a feel for it and see the difference it makes and build it. Uh, the, the, the examples used in, um, or the methods used in New York, where we have temporary measures, where people are upset about the, the parking going outside their shop, uh, and right, you know, reasonably so, it's their livelihood and it's just changed. What happens if it doesn't work, it's okay for you. And what about if we just take it out and we put this in and it's there for six months and, and if you don't like it, we'll take it out. That's a great persuading tool. And they're the kind of things that we are very interested in. The question that isn't asked as well uh, at a high level, because we get so focused on the problem and oh, what happens if oh, people are going to complain, oh, we're taking away this space, what are they going to do? What happens if we don't change? Because the rest of the world absolutely is, and I think we've all noticed it, it's happening everywhere now. There's something going on uh, in lots of different cities, and it really is everywhere, all over the place. And they are being uh, becoming nicer places to live. If they're nicer places to live, particularly in the current European political climate, then people will go and live in other places. And that language about making nicer places to live is also something that's been used here in London. I really like it. 
we stopped talking about cyclists, and we started talking about people, we started to talk about places, we started to talk about health and schools and what we want for our kids. And then using bicycles and walking just happens to be the solution that's slipping there. And I think it's much more palatable that we talk about that. Uh, and that's something that, that I think we're really interested to use uh, in the North. I really love this from 1972. Um, I don't have that fifth point. <laughs> 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 because that just shows you. <laughs> We can change when we want to. We can change. Look at smoking, how fast it changed. All of these things, they can happen, and they don't happen slowly. They build, they build, they build, and then there's a moment. And I think we're nearly there with active travel, cycling and walking. Um, I think we are nearly there, and we can, we can do that. How do we know when we've actually succeeded? Well, we, I've just... The report on Andy Burnham's desk and the leaders are looking at right now in Manchester, um, 15 steps, 15 things that we must do if we genuinely want to get large-scale change, uh, and there's a bill attached to that. that I think we've succeeded when we don't have a cycling budget anymore. It's just how we do highways. We don't have, uh, we don't have cyclists, we just have people moving about doing normal things. That's seven kilometers of cycle path. Imagine if we had three to 400 miles of that in the Manchester area. Well, we have imagined that, and it's our intention to, to deliver it. And hopefully we will do that on such a scale that the rest of the country has to notice it, government has to see it, and is inspired to actually take it and use it on a national scale. Thank you, that's me. Do we have a second microphone, Daniel, at the back there? No, really Is this the only one? Well, I can, I can I'm going to, I'll hover in this yeah. general area, if you like. Yeah, I'm going to hand this mic to the, to, to the audience, and then Chris can, oh, can okay. chair this himself anyway. Just um, Chris, can I just, just ask one question? Because you Since have... you've got the mic. Exactly. Uh, you majored on cycling there, but your job is also walking, so... Because you're obviously seen as a cyclist. It's, very good, it's a very good point. It's why, uh, why Jenny from Living Streets is on our team. Uh, it is a very good point. And it's a very, um, it's a very easy habit for me to fall into, uh, and I need to be kept in check because cycling infrastructure, space for people to ride, is a tangible, visible change. Walking is accessible to everybody. Walking is more important to me than bike riding. If I come to London, I just walk everywhere because it's my easiest solution. And getting those barriers out of the way, um, I do gravitate towards cycling, and I do need to be Jenny held in check for that because it, it, it's easy for my thinking to go in that direction. But walking is so much more subtle, places to sit, uh, it, to make just pleasanter places to be. And that's, just going back to that, that point about uh, the easiest solution, appealing solutions. Greenery is a massive part of it. It isn't just a piece of tarmac. Uh, if, we, if we do things that, um, that create a physical space but it's not appealing, it, it's it, it needs to be attractive as well. If we're going to do temporary measures, don't use cones, let's use planters, let's make nice spaces. So I think uh, the walking bit, I've, I've got some work to do, um, but I'm willing to do that, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to spend on it um, where, where it's in my gift to do so, because it's, it's, it's the most important bit. Mm -hmm.
Charles Carey, Bio Research. Um, Chris, I remember several years ago you said um, one of the key things that needed to change was the law when you talked about Denmark and the hierarchy of the default condition, the pedestrian first, then the cyclist, then the car. And you, you made a very convincing argument. Has, has there been any progress in that space? Well, the conversation is continuing in earnest, and I don't think it's speaking out of, uh, out of turn to say that ask is, is, has been made of, um, of Jesse and his team that there's, there's two things that we need. One is design standards. So we go to a book and this is how we do things, this is how we do this type of junction. And that would enable everybody, even locally, to make a big difference. There's not a significant cost attached to that. And it sounds like something that should come from government that we get uh, some direction on how we do, um, particularly cycling infrastructure. Um, and the other is the, the turning the corner campaign that British Cycling did. And I really, I didn't get it to start with. It's cunningly simple. Um, and it took me a while, but I've realised since how much that unlocks in that if we have a simple giveaway when turning rule, which brings us into line with the rest of the world. So there's us, Malta and Hong Kong, I think, that, that don't have some form of giveaway when turning. Suddenly, uh, our cycling infrastructure can go right across the junction. Uh, and so can our pavements that go right across because that, that piece, it's, it's supported by that piece of guidance. It doesn't have to be a law either. It can go into the highway code which is the guidance we all refer to. So it has quite, quite a big impact. So that's just a, a signature from the Secretary of State for Transport. So that's within Skip, it doesn't cost any money. Quite scary, but if we did that, the junctions could change and the modelling would show that they could become more efficient for traffic, which is what we should be talking about, by 37%. I think it's unfortunate that it was a cycling organisation um, that actually put it forward because it's labelled as a thing for cyclists. It's actually more about pedestrians. I stood in my village and I've watched um, some, some pensioners literally trying to watch to see when they can get across the road. And it's just wrong. It doesn't need to be like that. So I think those, those two things, uh, national guidance for how we do things, um, and, and changing that law, would change our streets a lot. And I think there's, there are reasonably enough asks that they're not costing money, they don't need you to go and change a law at a time when Parliament's flat out. I think they're reasonable asks, uh, and they, they would allow, unlock, things that we could do better than. Ben is from Local Transport today. Um, how do you plan to engage with businesses and um, retailers who fear that the changes you're proposing will actually be to their detriment? I think I alluded it a minute ago. I mean, there's some things that they can do um, that aren't too scary. So I, I, I'm, I'm as fast as possible, as slow as necessary for all of this. I'd rather just know we're going in the right direction, we're going to get there, and if it took 20 years, I can stomach that as long as I believe we're going to get there. Um, if we could do it in five, great. But I don't mind that bit. So I think there's measures that we can take that let people go with us. And I think those temporary measures are really interesting. I'd like to explore that further. And I'd like to see uh, us trial um, temporary street closures, temporary cycle lanes, um, just things that, you know, the street spaces. I've actually got some pictures in here, actually, I think. That I actually didn't get to because I just I was overrunning. But making nice spaces and having some um, some temporary closures so people can just try it out. And I really love this idea um, that, that we can do that and make them not just done with cones as I mentioned, but actually make them attractive and appealing and let them let people just try it out. Um, and I think that takes away a lot of the fear when you put the control into the business's hands and say, listen, if you don't like it, then we won't do it. How about, and, and people will try it, 
uh, if it doesn't feel as threatening. So I think those temporary measures is one in particular I'm really interested in. And incentivization, you know, mileage schemes for, for riding bikes, uh, some forms of rewards for actually doing things. We're incredibly cheap human beings. If you offer us a free little something, we'll go out of our way to get a pen. <laughs> but we, we could actually do something quite cost effective, I think, that offer incentives uh, and awards. So there's, I think there's a lot can be done on the, on the incentive front, but we found that businesses want to do it. There's a massive uh, network already in, in Manchester, a business network that we can tap into. We've got two more minutes, so we'll have a quick I'll give you some single syllable answers and we'll get through a couple. As a scouser, it's disappointing to see you in Manchester, not in Liverpool. There's a support group for us in Manchester, yeah. and you started it. But, but your role is, and Andrews and Andrew Dan and Will Norman in London now, it's pretty unique, and there's lots of cities and towns out there that haven't got a cycling and walking champion and can't even ever see them going there. What do people in places like that do? Well, I. I'm always quite, I mean, I sat on the National Cycling Strategy Board I don't know, 20 years ago, uh, quite a long ago, a long time ago, and I didn't realise then, uh, I was very naive, and I didn't realise that having the committee was the action. You know, that was it. Well, we've set up a committee and they're going to advise on these things, and it just gets people to be quiet for a bit, it's a way it's kicking it down the road. Um, and I really, it took me over, I'm quite thick, it took me over a year to get that before I actually um, resigned. <laughs> um, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm more cynical, a little bit older, I suppose. So it's only a relevant post if it's to implement something that the, the people in charge, the person in charge, wants to do, and then it becomes really useful because you are. I can only be the mouthpiece of Andy Burnham. I can only be the, if he wants to do it, we do it. Um, and if I, if I get to a point where I think well, we're just making too many compromises, we're not doing it, then. I, I'm, I'm done, and that's fine, and I'll just get on, go back and sit on the tractor. Um, but the, I, I genuinely believe at the moment it can be done. And I think that's really important that you, you have to be fulfilling a greater mandate if it's for you to actually go and find ways and convince people at the top and convince people that have to go out and do it. It's just too hard. So it's only useful if it's to do something. Could have kept that shorter. Do one more, one more. That's great. Last one. Cycling. Um, there is a huge, at least where I come from in Reading, there's a huge perception of uh, uh, motorists and typical cyclists. And what you're proposing in Manchester is taking up a lot of road space, taking up a lot of the cost possible, um, um, holding motorists back. Do you have any sort of a plan to try and counter that? <coughs> Well, it, it's, it's the question really, isn't it? I mean, first of all, we, we've stopped talking about cyclists, we talk about people, you know, every word, everything we do is about people. Um, we change the language to being about the space and how we want to use it. The Bike Life report that just come out is fantastic. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a normalised study, so it's cross-section of society. 77% of people want to see more infrastructure, even if it's to the detriment of other modes of traffic, which is pretty cool, um, and it gives you a lot of confidence. But ultimately, a little bit of friction is not always bad because it means that there's change and there's something happening. Uh, and it says you, you are being heard. But it ultimately, it's got to appeal to those people. Um, and I don't think you can push people out of the car until you can offer them a viable solution. That's not fair. They do it now because it is the least, I think the term we came up with, the least shit option. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we need, to, we need to give them other things. That's all for today's show, folks. 
Thanks for listening, thanks for subscribing, and don't forget that show notes and more can be found at the-spokesmen.com. Until the next time, get out there and ride. Thank you.